It is great to have you with us today as we continue our series on, uh, on Tales of the Unexpected. As if you've been with the last couple weeks, we're going to continue to get your input on what happens during the service. So if you're interested, whether you're part of our community here or anywhere, whether you're sitting in a pew or sitting on a lazy boy at home, we welcome you to uh, get on your phones and you can text to 22333. And then the message that you can type in is HCHURCH300, and that will give you the opportunity to be part of the twists and turns of our story today in determining where we go and what we're doing. Because today we're going to look at the, the desire we all have to find life, the best kind of life. And we're going to hear a story of a guy who's pursuing life amongst the twists and turns in his life. However, it's one thing to kind of talk about that from a literary standpoint or a biblical standpoint or a historic standpoint, but we're living during a week when there's a lot of twists and turns going on. So before we continue with the service, let's pause and pray for all of the wars and rumors of wars that are going on that God would bring peace. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for the time that all of our instruments of war will not be needed and they will be turned into plowshares and be used for, for productive means. But until that time, Father, we ask you to protect the innocent, that you confuse the way of evil, and that you allow your kingdom to overcome where there seems to be no way. In all those things, we ask you to bring comfort and strength to those who need it. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, as you uh, are joining us today uh, during this next song, we would just invite your input. And so the, the screen will have it on top while the band is playing. But as you're thinking about the twists and turns in life and the ways in which we need to kind of adapt our expectations, we would love to be part of our service by texting to 22333 the, the message HCHURCH300 and you can be part of the fun. All right, we'll be back in just a moment. Wicked and the wise 
just to let me in Shattered windows and the sound of drums But people couldn't believe what I'd become Revolutionary's way For my head on a silver plate Just a puppet on a lonely street Oh, who would ever want to be king? When I rule the world join in the fun, we are going to look at a guy today from the Bible who really did rule the world. And yet in the midst of ruling the world, he has some twists come his way in trying to seek out a guidance, seek out what the right decision is, and to find deeper spiritual meaning. So we're going to give you a chance to do the exact same thing. So last chance, you can text HCHURCH300 to 22333 as we join in the adventure. Here we go. Today I'd like you to imagine that you're either Indiana Jones or Laura Croft. Put on your hiking boots, grab a backpack, we're going on a treasure hunt. Along the way, you're going to face a few forks in the road with a few key choices to make. You found a treasure map, and it says, go west on it. Now, your first decision is whether you want to travel by horse or by speedboat. The horse would take you over rocky terrain, navigating some dusty mountain trails at dizzying heights, while the boat means a quick dart through waters teeming with, you know, piranha, snakes, and vermin. Either choice has its merits, and yet both have its perils. All right, time to vote. Do you see yourself as a horse dizzying heights way up in the mountaintop, or do you want to get on a speedboat and at least we can, you know, zip right across those piranha and those vermin? So, again, if you're uh, watching online or if you're sitting in the room, now it's a 50-50 shot. Looks like the horse is starting to win out. We'll give just a few more seconds to put in your final vote. There's no wrong answer here, but this does determine all of our destiny. So there's a lot of pressure, all right? The pressure is on. All right, we got a lot of people who don't like heights, but ultimately we're going to lock in the vote. The horse has won. Let's see what happens next. All right, you get on your horse. You come around the bend and see your road is blocked by an enormous log. 
Two paths diverge ahead, but both are overgrown with weeds and thicket. All of a sudden, you see an old prospector refilling his canteen in the stream. He offers you some water, and your initial impression is that he's friendly and wise, but he might have a screw loose. You produce your map and ask him if he can guide you forward, and he says jovially, sure, no problem. You're about to agree when heavy footsteps approach, revealing a weathered Sherpa who gruffly suggests you follow him instead. The Sherpa has the authority of someone who's seen everything and could handle just about any threat, but he's mysterious and a bit unsettling. Which guide will we follow, the kindly old man or the mystical Sherpa? Which one? Which one do you think will be the best one to guide us forward in our journey to find the treasure? The kindly old prospector? Too many people have seen Toy Story. You know that sometimes those prospectors aren't everything they want. Or the mysterious Sherpa. Last chance to vote in, whether you're, again, uh, watching from your lazy boy at home or whether you're watching from here, it looks like a pretty strong desire to follow the mysterious Sherpa. All right, lock in the votes. Your guide turns out to be an able assistant. Well done. Helping you navigate countless dangers. Eventually, he leads you to a marble temple that's covered in moss and cobwebs. You enter and see a locked treasure chest up on the altar. There's a solitary keyhole on the lid. Two large basins sit in front. One is filled with white sand. The other is filled with an opaque black liquid. Some hieroglyphics on the wall suggest that one basin contains the key and the other holds an unspecified danger. You look to your guide for advice and he just shrugs. You're on your own with this one. To claim the treasure, you must plunge your hand into one of the two basins, either the white sand or the black water. One leads to life and the other to doom. We got a lot of white sands. Now we got a lot of black waters. We got a little bit more back and forth on this one. Which one do you think contains the key? Will you choose wisely or will you choose poorly? That's the question here. Last chance right now. The white sand is up. Anyone else want to fight for the black water? Last chance to lock in your votes. All right. Ten, nine. Eight, seven, <laughs> six, five, four. Those at home, last chance. You may be saving us or putting us in our doom. And locked in the votes for the white sand. You chose poorly. As you reach through the sandy surface, your hand trips a lever and a trap door opens beneath your feet. You and your guide fall into a cavernous dungeon never to be heard from again. Had you chose the black water, there was a key just under the water that would have given you treasures untold and riches forever. Well, today we're going to look at a man named Naaman, and he is going to have some decisions to make about some black, dark water and whether or not it's the key to life or the key to death. He's going to have to decide what spiritual force and guide he wants to follow in his life and which one will lead him to life. And a man who truly does rule the world can he find deeper meaning and deeper purpose where he is? So as the series tells of the unexpected, 
we have been looking at expectations. We've been looking at the idea that life often brings a twist and we have to tweak our expectations. Let's talk about expectations again because they're going to play out in this man named Naaman's life today. Expectations about what our spouse should do, what life should do, what God should do, how our kids should behave. Those expectations pretty quickly become our perceptions. We see life through what should happen, what ought to happen, what we think we deserve to happen. I was talking to a husband recently. He said, you know, for years of marriage, he thought as soon as he got home after long days of work, his wife should leave him alone for at least a half hour. And so there'd be a lot of conflict because she should, his perception of marriages, if she knew what marriage is about, she should leave me alone. Meanwhile, if you talk to her, she would say, when my husband comes in the door, he should be interested in my day. He should ask questions about what I did today and what mattered and show interest in my life. And these expectations clashed, of course, because they perceived, is she a good wife? Is he a good husband? Do we have a good relationship? Our expectations quickly become glasses that turn into our, our perceptions. And the same thing is true in life. You say, you know what, my career is doing well, but I perceived it would be doing even better now. And those expectations allow you to look at the same circumstances that somebody might admire and even envy where you are, and you're feeling angry or resentful or like a failure because your expectations became your perceptions. But something even more insidious happens with expectations. Expectations turn into perceptions, and those turn into limitations because you know for sure what should happen, you're no longer open to what could happen. I should be here by now, and there might be a whole nother opportunity, a whole nother avenue, a whole nother way of doing marriage, a whole nother way of doing parenting, a whole nother way of, of approaching a situation, but because it's not what should happen or what you think you deserve to happen, you end up limiting yourself on what you can see, what you will do, or what you're even open to, because it's supposed to be this way. And so those really good expectations turn into your limitations. And I want to tease that out today in our story, but I want to challenge you today to really take a moment and look at those areas of anger in your life or resentment in your life or areas that just you keep circling around the same issue over and over and begin to inspect what you expect from life, from God, from your kids, from your company to really inspect what you expect and see if there are not expectations in your life that even though they're good, they've actually created a perception that is not allowing you to see some of the strengths of your partner or the strengths of your current environment. Therefore, they're limiting you to everything you could have. Because when we look at our expectations, we're actually going to get free from self-imposed limitations. Maybe you've heard how they train fleas. It's kind of a fun story. I don't know. I've never trained fleas. I assume this is true. Maybe it's just one of those well-traveled stories. But you take the fleas and you put them in like a coffee can, back when we used to have these big, large coffee cans, and you put a lid on top. And fleas, as you may know, they can jump really, really high. So you put them in a coffee can, jumping all over the place, running back to the dog. However, if you put a lid on top, the flea will jump up and hit their head. Beer, 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 
And eventually, the fleas are pretty smart with that little brain. They're like, eh, that kind of hurts. I don't really want to do that. So the fleas will only jump up as high as the lid. Ew, mm, ew, mm, ew, mm. And at some point after you've trained the fleas, you can take the lid off. And guess what? They'll never jump out of the can. You've trained them to limit themselves. Or maybe you've heard the old adage that you know, elephants have good memories. Why do we think elephants have good memories? Well, it's because when they're training elephants, you can take a baby elephant, pound a stake in the ground, and tie a rope up to the elephant. And that little elephant will pull and pull and pull on that little stake, and he's not going to be strong enough at a young age to pull it out. But as he grows, he remembers that limitation. And he won't pull the stake out, even though it's the same little stake and the same little rope, and now he's two tons, three tons in weight. Elephants have memories that limit them. They expect it not to come out. They expect they can't get beyond their rope. Therefore, you can hold a a huge elephant with a little bitty stake. And I want to propose to you that some of our expectations are currently lids and stakes keeping us from everything life, God, and our relationships might have for us. So let's start by looking at Naaman's expectations. There's a guy named Naaman, and Naaman is going to have a big twist come in his life. And I think the question that Naaman's going to ask himself is the question we need to ask ourselves. What do I do, or what do I need to tweak when life gives me a twist? So a little background, Naaman's an actual general commander in the Syrian army uh, in biblical times in the book of 2 Kings, and he has it all. You talk about a guy like that last song who rules the world. He has power, he has wealth, he has fame, he has conquered all. In fact, he has just gotten back recently from conquering the Israeli people. And in conquering the Israelites, he has actually taken some captives with his army back, and they are operating as his servants. In fact, he has one little girl from Israel who's basically been kidnapped, serving as a a product of war, sitting in his camp. And that's where the story begins. So Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, very noble, very respected, very victorious, great and honorable man. Things are going very, very well for him. He's got the eyes of his master. Because of him, the Lord had given him victory. Even God let him be victorious over Israel because of some long-term bad habits Israel had had. He was a mighty man, a mighty man of valor. He walks in a room, you say, that's a leader's leader. But there's a twist. All of his power, all of his wealth, all of his victories, but he has a medical problem he can't fix. He's a leper. Leprosy is a condition where your nerve endings stop working and your skin turns white. You can actually accidentally carve or scrape your own arm or fingers off because you don't have nerve endings to know that there's pain. And the twist of the story is a man who has everything and rules the world can't fix the one thing he desperately wants to fix as he has leprosy. And what's amazing is that this little girl who was taken from Israel is serving him and his wife, and she's learned to care about him even though he's an enemy, an enemy of Israel, the enemy of her people, and even conquered her land. And she says, I care about you, Naaman, and I know that you can't heal and your gods in your land and and your your doctors can't fix this problem but I know a god and a prophet of god back in my hometown named Elisha he could heal you if you want it he's tried everything why not try this so 
He says, I know how life works. I bring lots of money. I bring lots of prestige. I have lots of gifts to give. I'm going to buy myself a miracle. And he also knows who's the kind of person in Israel that you go to if you want something big. He's used to big things and big packages. He goes to talk to the king, the king of Israel. So his king of Syria talks to the king of Israel and says, hey, send a name in my general, and I want you to heal his leprosy. Now, is this what you want as a, as a president of the organization? You want to know that somebody has an expectation that you're going to heal his commanding general's leprosy? No. So this doesn't go over well. So the letter comes to the king of Israel, and he's like, what? Who does he think I am? He expects me to heal his leprosy? I can't heal any leprosy. Oh, my goodness. He start. you know what? The king is trying to start a war here. And he's just making this excuse. Look, they wouldn't heal his leprosy, so we're going to go to war. Oh, my goodness. So stress level is high. Warmongering is high. And the king is thinking, he's just trying to seek a quarrel with me. Meanwhile, Elisha, who lives in Israel, hears about this situation, sends a note and says, hey, king, send Naaman to me. We'll take care of it. He will know there's a prophet of the one true God in Israel. And the king's like, Whew. At least it's not my problem. So he sends Naaman with all his money and all his prestige to come and see Elisha. Again, Naaman is used to when he walks in a room, yes, sir, what can I do for you, sir? He's wealthy, he's powerful, he's honorable. He's used to being the center of attention. He's no longer talking to a king, he's talking to some prophet of God. Can you trust this God? Does anything about this God? I don't know. I just want to get healed of my leprosy. Elisha doesn't even come out of the tent. Incredibly offensive to Naaman. Instead, he sends his servant out. <laughs> hey, Elisha hears that you got a problem, the general who conquered them. He says, if you want to be healed of your leprosy, go down to one of our rivers, the Jordan River, big, dark, opaque, muddy water, and just dip yourself in seven times, and you'll be healed. See you later. <laughs> Naaman is furious. He feels disrespected. That's not what I expected to happen. It's not what I expected to be treated. It's not how I expected to be healed. It's not how I expected the king to act and, and the, the prophet of God to act. It's not how I expected God to do anything here. So he's furious. Go wash in the Jordan, the dirty rivers of Israel. And it says, but... I said to myself, surely that's not what I expected. I thought he would come out and wave his arms like some kind of magic spell, but he didn't. And now we come to our main point. Have you inspected what you expect? In the New King James, it says, but he said to himself. In the NIV, it says, but I thought. Isn't that a great definition of expectations? But I thought wives should do this. But I thought bosses should do that. But I thought life would do this. But I thought God should do that. But I thought. How many but I thoughts, expectations, have become our perceptions of the world? How many but I thoughts have made us angry or mad? We've missed out on an opportunity because we're so mad it didn't happen the way it should or could or ought to. And Naaman is furious. Thank goodness he brought two servants with him from Syria. 
two buddies who'd learned to trust. And as he's fuming and somebody's going to die today, kind of mad, his servants say, could we chat with you for a moment? And this is why expectations are so hard to see their limitations to you because you can't see it. You don't see that your expectations have limited you. You just see them as how you perceive reality, just how it is. Someone else comes in the situation, and they can help you see your blind spots, help you see how your expectations have become your limitations. So two ways in which other people help him, these two servants of his from Syria. First one is they help him see that, that what he expects has become what he projects. He's projected expectations on the king. He's projected expectations on on Elisha. He's projected expectations on dirty water in Israel. He's just projected reality out of his expectations. Here's what they say. This this is Naaman. This is so great. So here's Naaman's response. He says, are not the rivers of Damascus, that's our town, better than all the waters of Israel? If I'm going to take a bath, I'll take a bath in our clean water, not this dump. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage, and his servants came near, (laughs) and they spoke to him. Hey, 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 hey. You've projected that there's no way this will work. You've projected this isn't the way that God should handle it. You've projected this cannot be true. Would you be open that maybe, maybe, we could at least be open to trying it, right? You've tried everything else back at home, and it didn't work. Why don't we at least try it? And so often we need other people to help see our blind spots. I had one of these recently. I was talking to a couple, and they're really on the the verge of of kind of giving up on each other. And so I talked to each one separately. And I was talking to the husband, and I said, what do you think your wife needs most? She needs security. She needs respect. She needs affirmation and appreciation. I said, well, how well do you think you're doing on meeting her needs? Well, let's talk about what she's doing wrong. Well, I can't handle her. Let me talk to you. What what are you doing? Well, you know, I get really harsh and I get really angry and I don't respond really well. I said, well, if your wife has a need for security or calmness in the home and you're getting angry all the time, how do you think that's deposited pain into your wife? Probably a lot. I said, don't you think it would go an awful long way to be able to just say, hey, I haven't got it all figured out, but I can see how this behavior is hurting you, and I'm sorry, and I want to do better. Wouldn't that just change your whole dynamic? Yeah. I said, why don't you think about that, and then try and make have a, just some version of that conversation in the next two days. So I called up a couple days later, and I said, hey, how'd that go? He said, well, I'm really working on my issues. I said, well, great. What do you mean you're working on your issues? I'm really digging into the stuff I need to dig into. Great. Did, did, you, did you do what I asked you to do? Well, no. So you're working on your issues, but the one thing we talked about you doing, you didn't do. No. So he's convinced he's doing the work, but he expects her to go first. And he's, he's actually limited himself, and until she goes first, I'm not going to apologize. And his perception is, I'm right until she admits she's wrong. So I get her on the phone as I'm talking to her. I said, what do you think your husband needs most? Appreciation. He talks about it a lot. How good are you at affirming your husband and telling him who he is and what he's done is something you appreciate? Well, I didn't really grow up having that model very well. I said, okay, well, so it's hard for you, but do you do it very well? No. I said, so if your husband needs that and you're not doing that, in one sense, your, your husband's seriously malnourished, right? So you've malnourished your husband by holding back words that he needs. Yeah. 
Well, maybe you could apologize for that and say, hey, I know I'm not really good at this. I can know that's really hurt you over the years, and I want to I ask for forgiveness. Yeah, okay. Sure enough, a couple days later, hey, did you do that? Well, no, I'm waiting for him. And that's why often, whether it's counselors or friends, whether it's getting in a men's group or other people, you need other people because you can talk yourself into anything. You can tell yourself you're doing the work when you haven't done any of the work. You can tell yourself you're open to ideas and you're not open to any ideas. We need other people to help us. So he leaves in a rage. Not as he projecting these things, but he also, it's limited him. He went away in a rage and his servants come up to him and say, listen, my father, he gets a real close relationship. If the prophet had asked you to do something great, something hard, something difficult, right? You're used to taking mountains and taking cities. If, God, if, the, if the man of God asked you to do something hard, would you have done it? Yeah! Then why not try this little thing? Like, what's it going to hurt to stop by the river and just dip in there and wash and be clean? And up until that moment that his servants told him that, he didn't know he'd limited himself. He was willing to do big things, but he wasn't willing to do a small thing. What are the ways in which your expectations have kept you from doing small things? Like an apology or a thank you or considering somebody else's perspective. Often it takes other people. I was, uh, had a situation, two situations recently, where I just got to realize how my expectations were making me very angry and I need other people to help me. One involved pretzels. In the middle of kind of a real hectic day of traveling and getting all kinds of stuff done and, and I love eating pretzels with, with queso. It's one of my favorite things. So I'd stop by Walmart and I got these pretzels that I love and I got them home and I went to rip them open and as I went to rip them open I saw mold everywhere in the pretzels. Oh. And I looked at the date. It was like October 2021. Two months old. Oh. So I'm already frustrated, but it's not that big a deal. I'm just going to run back to Walmart. So run back to Walmart. And like, hey, can I just swap this out? And you got to go through customer service. So you're sitting in the line. You know, it's 20 deep. Customer service. And my expectation is this should be going faster. My expectation is they've already inconvenienced me. My expectation as I'm in line is they almost poisoned me for crying out loud. I mean, that's just the story's getting better and better. I finally get up to the line. I'm like, hey, listen, I got these uh, pretzels where you guys uh, didn't check that they're all moldy and I need to swap them out. Sir, our computer just went down. And because it can't came down, we, we can't swap it out. You have to come back later. Well, I didn't expect to need to come back later. I said, well, tell you what, I'll just set these here. I'll go grab ones that are not moldy. I'll bring them home. Sir, if you do that, you're a thief. Oh, now I'm mad. I said, you're telling me if I swap out your moldy pretzels for clean pretzels and walk out the door, you're going to call the police on me? Well, sir, that would be stealing. Or maybe it would be accommodating. So I'm like, never mind. I'm just taking my moldy pretzels. I take my moldy pretzels and get back in the car. And I drive home and I'm getting home fast. Trying to get some pretzels. Then get a pretzel, like a moldy pretzel still. She's like, why are you so angry? I'm like, I don't know why I'm so angry. <laughs> and I realized I had all these expectations about what should happen and could happen. And computer shouldn't break down. I should get my pretzels and they shouldn't have this. And they should have been more flexible, which I still think they should have been. But man, all that anger really came down to my expectations and how I, it limited me to the grace I could share with somebody or the, the, the benefit of the doubt I could give someone, right? That's what happens. And I want to suggest to you that you need other people in your life to help you say that maybe there's something simple you need to do. And what was the simple thing he needed to do? He says, all right, we'll try it. Now, the Jordan River, if you've never seen it, it's like half the size, depending on flood season, of like the little Miami. 
You can see it kind of wandering its way through Israel on the right side, but basically it's a big mud hole. This is not magic water. This is not a magic incantation. This was just a test, a simple test Elisha gave that was saying, Naaman, will you trust the God of Israel? Fine. I'm not going to be limited to not do it. I can always wash myself off. Goes down once, comes up, leprosy. Comes up twice, leprosy. It's not a third gone. It's not two-sevenths gone. Three times, four times, five times. Comes up the sixth time, nothing. This isn't working. I feel like a fool. Why not try the seventh time? He goes underwater the seventh time. He comes up. It says his skin is completely restored. And he is overjoyed. The God of Israel cleansed him, forgave him, and honored, not magic water, but honored his faith. That's why the main message of the Bible isn't about a bunch of religious hoops. It's about simple faith. Will you believe that an old rugged cross, God dying for you 2,000 years ago, will cleanse you that you come up forgiven? That's why we do baptism here as a church for those who become followers of Jesus. We do it right out here. We used to do it at people's homes. People gather together and they say, listen, I have found that the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, died for me, forgave me, cleansed me, washed me, cleaned me, and we go under the water as a symbol of being buried with Jesus, trusting him to pay for our wrongdoing, and trusting that we come out of the water, he cleansed us, he washed us. It's a simple act. It's not magic. It's a simple act of faith, trusting the God of Israel. But notice again how Naaman almost missed out. The next 40 years of his life, he won't have leprosy because he was willing to listen to other people, help him see how his expectations had become his projections and his expectations had become his limitations. Ah, but the story takes another twist. So now we move to the servant's expectations. So Naaman is like, this is great. I'm glad I tweaked my expectations. I'm glad I was open to things I wasn't open to before. I want to go back and give all this money and all this um, clothing that I bought to say thanks to Elisha. So he takes all his money. Instead of heading back to Syria, they head back to Elisha's place. Hey, Elisha, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything you've done. This is awesome. Take some money, take some gold, take whatever you need. And Elisha says, comes out this time, he says, no. Now, I don't want your gift because I don't want you to think that you earn this gift. I don't want you to think that you buy this gift. I don't want you to be confused about how the God of Israel works. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you buy. It's not about uh, might and power like everything you've ever had. I want you to feel this for what it is. It's a free gift from God to you. Wow. This is just a mind bender for him. A God who wants to give gifts, not a God that wants to get your gifts, like every other religion he's ever heard before. So he's on his way home like, wow. In fact, he stops and he grabs a, a truckload of dirt, which is kind of funny, because he, wants, he thinks that the God of Israel is only on the dirt in Israel. So he, he brings a truckload of dirt back to Syria with him so he can bring the God with him. So he's, he's a little confused about a few things still. He's on his way back, but Elisha's servant is sitting here watching this whole ordeal. I can't believe that this Syrian general who conquered us, our enemy, got a free gift from God. It's not what I expected. And this guy's rich and powerful and honorable and he offers us money and you don't take it? That's not what I expected. That's not what should happen. That's not what we should be doing. And now we see all his expectations. So Elisha goes back into the tent. Naaman's on his way home. 
And the servant's like, who's going to know? I got to protect Elisha from himself. He's making bad decisions. So he chases him down. Hey, Naaman, hey, Naaman. And Naaman sees him coming, turns and says, hey, is it well? It is well. You know, we had a couple other people stop by for dinner, and Elisha changed his mind. He really thinks that maybe we'll take the, the, the bag talents of silver and gold, and, and do you have any garments? We'll take a couple garments too. Oh. And Naaman's like, yes, please. Here's the garments. Here's everything you need. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You take that. I, I appreciate that. Now, here's what's interesting. This servant of God in Israel is not willing to tweak his expectations. When life gives him a twist, I'm not getting what I deserve. I could have taken some of that gold and silver. I'm not getting what I'm owed. He's like, well, if I'm not going to get what I owe, I'm going to find a way to get it myself. And this is what happens with expectations. You know people and I know people who end up taking their marriage or their leadership into a ditch because they talk themselves into anything to get what they expected because other people weren't giving them what they thought they were owed. It looks like this. Elisha will eventually confront his servant and say, hey, where were you? And his servant says, I didn't go anywhere. It's like a kindergartner. I didn't go anywhere. But we all do this. If your expectations are strong enough and you don't think your company or your life or your wife is giving you what you need, you can talk yourself into anything. You will lie to convince people you're trustworthy. No, I wouldn't do that. Oh, you did too. Remember in 10th grade when, when you wanted to, to drive and your parents said you could drive from the car and you could go to McDonald's or back or wherever and back, but no farther than that. And of course, you did go farther than that. You went to not only McDonald's, you went a couple other places and came back. And, and, and you came home and, and they said, now, did you go farther than you should? Oh, no. Oh, no. I only went as far as you told me to. You lied so that they would trust you more. What? We're willing to compromise our integrity, like the servant did, in order to show people how much integrity we have. You can trust me, and we don't talk about and own our own junk. We're willing to do bad rather than look bad. Because the worst thing, our expectation is to look bad. So we're willing to be bad rather than look bad. We can be bad so that we'll look good. And that's where the servant is. Lying, 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 lying. Oh, you can trust me. I would never do something like that. But it's his expectations that he refused to tweak. Maybe we don't want somebody who's never heard of our God to confuse works and money with this gift. That was more important than him giving the garments. I mentioned a few weeks ago, there's been a great book I've been reading. It's not a Christian book, but it's called Expectation Hangover. And it really, I think, challenges me with some questions to ask yourself on why you aren't tweaking your expectations. Why am I more like the servant than I am like Naaman? Number one, where do I control rather than accept? This servant is like, listen, I'm going to control the situation. I'm going to find a way to get that money and get those garments. Instead of just accepting, hey, for whatever reason, I can't control the universe. It's not going to happen this time. How often do I medicate the pain or the sadness or the feelings I don't like when I really need to grieve. You know what? That's not going to happen, and that's sad, and that's difficult for me. But you know what? I'm going to trust that God has some comfort for me or strength for me or wisdom for me, even if things don't go the way I hope. Where do I feel entitled where I need to be grateful? 
that servant felt entitled to that money from Naaman. I'm going to get it by hook or by crook. And that's my final challenge for us. Remember I said expectations can be limitations? I want you to consider the cost of your current expectations. Do you find yourself getting mad and furious at things all the time, whether it's pretzels or your spouse or your kids because they're not doing what they should? What is the cost if you keep handling your anger the way you're handling it? What is the cost to your spouse if you keep imposing these demands on them that are crushing their spirit? How much is it going to cost you financially in the divorce? How much is it going to cost you emotionally and looking into their eyes? How much is it going to cost you in your relationship, cannibal? Either you're going to find the cost of your expectations and go, I need to tweak these. But if you don't find the cost, you're going to pay the cost. And it's going to be painful. And I don't want that for you. And God doesn't want that for you. Find the cost. Consider the cost. So in another final twist of our story, when, uh, when Elisha says to his servant, so, did you go back and get the money? Oh, no, I didn't do that. I was just kind of hanging out here doing dishes. He's like, you know what? Then the leprosy that was on Naaman will stick to you. Oh, and that seems so unfair. And that seems so wrong. But he paid the cost of his expectations. You want to get what you deserve? You can't fool me or God. My heart went with you when you went there. You're now going to get the consequences of what you've done wrong. You're a liar. You're a thief. You took stuff that was supposed to belong to me. You hid it in your home. So either you're going to trust that God washes you because you acknowledge what you do wrong, or you get the consequences of what you did wrong. See, at the end of our life, God gives us two options, fairness or forgiveness. I don't want a fair trial. My good deeds are not as good as I think, and my bad deeds are far worse than I think. What I want is forgiveness. And that's what God wants for all of us, too. In fact, I'm going to invite the band to come out and do this final song. I'll tell you a final story. It's a guy like Naaman that I've been building a friendship with for the last six months. He, he calls himself a, a strong atheist and agnostic, and he's one of my Uber drivers. Occasionally, when I'm picking up tires or something, I'll grab an Uber driver, and I always use the same guy. And so last time I chatted with him, I said, hey, last time we talked, you said you're an atheist. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah. I said, what, what kind of the top three reasons why you're an atheist? He's like, well, I'll tell you exactly why. I don't believe in anything I can't see. Um, there's too much evil in the world. And the universe is so big, there's got to be aliens. And if there's aliens, it's probably not a god. I said, wow. And so we chatted about a few other things. He's a great storyteller. And I said, hey, are you open to talk about your three reasons you're an atheist? He says, sure. I said, are you sure you don't believe in anything that you can't see? He said, what do you mean? I said, have you ever seen integrity? Have you ever seen courage? Not somebody being courageous, but the concept of courage. Have you ever put your hand around love or honor or respect? Have you ever seen intimacy? You're stepping on the brakes right now. Have you ever seen the calipers or rotors on your car? I have. I changed them recently. Do you know the guy who, who fixed your, your brakes last time? I bet you believe in a lot of things you don't see. He's like, well, that's a good point. I said, the problem of evil. I said, just because people have bare haircuts, does that mean there's no such thing as a barber? I said, no, when you see lots of bad haircuts, you see there's a need for a barber. He said, well, good and evil are, are equally need each other, which is kind of a Hindu belief. I said, actually, they don't. Science tells us that heat can exist without cold. If you go into outer space, at some point you can't get any colder because cold is the absence of heat. Evil is the absence of good. Good can stand on its own accord. 
Evil is the absence of that. So when you see evil, it's a reminder we need more God over there. And we just had this great dialogue. And he actually says, well, this has been a fun conversation. And so I said, well, I'm a pastor. He goes, you're a pastor? You sound like a scientist and a philosopher. You sounded smart. You were smart right until I told him I was a pastor. So he downloaded our app. So Steve, if you're watching right now, it's good to have you with us here today and uh, those of you watching at home. But again, it was just a great conversation. A guy like Naaman had a different belief system than I did, trying to kind of figure it out together in a real honest friendship and just going through the guidelines together. What does it mean? What does it, what does it mean to talk about this? What are our expectations? How can we be more open to conversation with people who disagree with us in hopes that we might find the truth and might find hope in our life? I want that for you. I want you to experience the best of life. What it's like to be like Naaman. He was on top of the world to begin with, right? Money and prestige. But now he's on top of the world. He knows what it's like to be forgiven and have a connection with the God of the universe. I hope this song communicates what I want for you. For you to live your life with God on your side, living on top of the world.